The Mission Daily is brought to you by the Twilio Signal Conference. Join the mission team on October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And when you join us at the conference, you can use the code MISSION20 to get 20% off. Welcome to the Mission Daily, your number one source for accelerated learning. I'm Chad Grills. I'm joined by Stephanie Postles, the COO of the mission. And today we are covering another principle of accelerated learning. Hey everyone, I'm super excited to be here. Let's just say that Chad and I have some history around this principle. You might not know it yet, so it might be embarrassing, but stay tuned and you can find out what this history is. I'm trying to guess what stuff's talking about, not sure. But anyways, you'll find out. Today, (laughs) we have a really cool episode. The part that I do know about is a trinity of skills that are vital to every single person that's listening. These skills are overlooked. A lot of people don't even realize that These are the foundational skills of accelerated learning, a better life, making more money, getting healthier, wealthier. It just really, really doesn't matter. These are the three skills that nobody wants to master. Whoa. So why do you think no one wants to master them? Because you know what? Maybe maybe I do want to master them. You don't know. (laughs) So these are so hard to even bring up sometimes. I mean, you can bring them up, but the path to mastering these is really rough. It's not fun. And it will completely demolish your ego. Not for the faint of hearted, for sure. All right. Well, let's just say that I'm up for the the challenge. Faint hearted, I think. Faint of heart. Either one. So I'm ready to stomp on my ego. So (laughs) why don't you go through what are the three skills that will help with accelerated learning? Here they are. These are the foundationals. Reading, writing, speaking. That's it. So that sounds pretty simple. (laughs) I'm guessing it's a little bit more complicated than it sounds. So what might stop someone from building on or working on these skills? Way more complicated. So let's just take a step back for a second. So if you're going to actually investigate from an objective standpoint, so from an outsider standpoint who is a master at these skills and analyze yourself and put yourself to some type of measurement or standard or challenge to see where you really fall on the spectrum of reading, writing, and speaking, that's where it gets uncomfortable because you're going to have to look at your reading, your writing, your speaking, and that means your voice or audio. You're going to have to listen to your voice, which is never comfortable. You're going to have to watch yourself on video, which is almost worse. And there's always going to be room for improvement. So this is one of the challenging paths where if you begin this journey towards mastery, No matter how much progress you make, there's always going to be a huge room for improvement. I definitely agree. I had to uh, take, it was kind of like a lean in course and they wanted us to record ourselves while we were talking. And oh, when yeah, I, was, I forgot you yeah, just took that. Yeah, it was really good. It was at Google. And when I had to watch myself on camera, I was like cringing. I did not like it. Even if everyone else is like, you look great. You did great speaking about this concept. It was like scary. And I was like, ew, I, I don't like that. After you do it, it's definitely something that gets easier and easier. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're not afraid to see yourself on camera or hear yourself. So how do you know that these three are the ones that we should be focusing on in this episode? So just from personal experience, when I picked out or was first getting in the process of you know improving myself and taking self-improvement seriously, I had picked out some people I wanted to emulate because I really admired what they had done in the real world. Give me an example. Who? It's, I mean, it's, so here, here's why it's tough. The, it's tough because if you say one person, the person listening is either not going to have context or they might not be able to quickly get up to speed with all the examples from that person. So the best way to appeal to every single person listening and personalize it to their experience is to, in your mind right now, think of three people that you emulate or want to emulate. So think of three people whose reading, writing, and speaking you really admire. 
now dig into the backstory of those individuals. And I can guarantee that reading, writing, and speaking is something that they've either put in 10,000 hours towards mastering and getting better at, or pretty close to that level of focused self-improvement in those skills. So basically everyone has like a personalized journey and you don't want to sway it. Yeah, absolutely. It would be super presumptuous to, you know, say that the people that I'm trying to emulate really have any type of, yeah. Okay. But the people that you're emulating don't have like a secret morning routine or not like (laughs) meditating for 20 minutes a day or doing something that's just like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Some of them do, but no, no real secrets here. Just a lot of doing the work every single day with those skills. And they've just practiced them again and again and again, often for decades. And so to help translate and start moving this towards really, really practical advice, the best way I found to speed up this skill acquisition in these areas is to learn to love reading and make loving it and doing it a lot the goal. So the more fun you can make it, the better. And I think way too many people get bogged down thinking that they have to do, you know, A, B, or C, or a really rigorous reading program or force themselves to do it for an hour or two hours a day. When I think in reality, the more scenarios you can engineer where you love reading, where you're not thinking about anything else, you're not worrying about the book, you're not worrying about what others are going to think about the book. If you tell them, you're not worried about the price you paid for the book when it's due to, to the library, everything like that. And the more you can just have a wonderful experience associated with reading, that is the number one key that most people forget. And with writing, it's, again, the same exact thing. Like, so often we have teachers or other people over our shoulder being hypercritical of writing when it's in its nascent stage, when it's, you know, first coming out. And writing anything well takes 10, 11, 12 different drafts of improving it again and again. We know that from uh, story (laughs) episodes. It's an iterative process. And the more you can engineer scenarios and times where you just have a delight the more excitement and feeling of joy that you can associate with reading and writing, the better. And then the same with speaking. And obviously that gets into territory where it's terrifying for people to think about public speaking. But that's the same same thing. And a little bit later, we'll talk about some strategies for that. Okay, so remember when I said that we have history on these principles? I, I, okay, let's, let's see where this goes. Well, when I first met you, don't be upset, but I'd get a little bit frustrated because I remember you always telling me that basically... To solve all my problems, I just had to read <laughs> or I just had to write out my feelings or you would just say things to me. And this is almost 10 years ago. Well, yeah. we've known each other for a long time. So I think I figured out why I was so annoyed when you would tell me this. And I did a little soul searching and I think it was because of school and early age. I really did not like a lot of the stuff that we were being forced to read. And then I would have to write about something and I didn't want to write about it. And then I would get a grade back and it'd be, you know, not very good. And I'd be like, that's fine because I didn't want to write about that topic anyways. So I think the whole school process can really taint you on, you know, wanting to like that, wanting to enjoy public speaking and having to like get up in front of a class to talk about a topic you don't care about. What do you think about the whole school process, maybe kind of ruining your experience when it comes to reading, writing and speaking and how we can kind of like shift out of that mindset and start liking it again? I think it absolutely destroys it. But then, wait, so you're, is this like an apology or? No, is it? this is never an apology. This is more of like, Usually I'm the one this is what you did to me. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, sorry about that. It's one of those things where like, you know, you want to bring up how to fix problems, but you know, I, I know it can like be presumptuous and things like that. I but appreciate at the same it time, now, 10 years same, later. At the same time, like it is how to fix things and it is how to either think more clearly or 
get the things that are bothering you out on paper and then you, in a sense, you release them. The yeah. act of writing is incredibly therapeutic. There's a, a bunch of psychologists where they're work with clients basically involves just it's talk therapy and it's writing things out and speaking things out and it's no accident why that works yep do you remember the first biography you had me read it was like clarence what's his last name he was like a judge oh clarence thomas uh supreme court uh justice yeah i was reading at the time for school and i was close yeah. (laughs) yeah that was actually great i remember reading that and like just thinking about his stories and it just really helped and i was like okay maybe chad has some merit with what he's telling me to do here I think stories like that are just fascinating because it's so easy to think, oh, Supreme Court justice, it's going to be boring or bland. Or not relevant to my life. Yeah, it's, again, like, I and I can, like, a bunch of new details from that biography are, like, coming to the surface. And it's, it's just fascinating how many people, you know, regardless of what your politics are, they have such fascinating backstories to get to where they were at. And he was basically, like beside himself when he was 32, like recovering, you know, problems with drinking. I don't want to call it alcoholic because it it definitely wasn't, but he was having problems with drinking by himself, single father, and it was not easy, but he came back and turned it around in a major way. So let's go a little bit more into actionable insights that people can take away. And how can we make this so people can have a fresh look, fresh start today at developing these three skills? So I think first, well, making it more pleasurable to do these things. Yes. Like enjoying By any means reading. necessary. Yeah. If you have to go off by yourself, because obviously this isn't something where, you know, if you bring it up to your friends or if you're at trivia or happy hour or with coworkers and stuff, not everybody's going to want to like, you know, okay, yeah, let's, let's hang out after work and, uh, <laughs> and read together <laughs> <laughs> and read or have a reading party. Some, some folks might, if you're around a group like that, you're especially lucky. Yeah. I like what you said the other day. So Chad and I were talking and. I asked him to pick a book out for me because I just, sometimes just too much. I don't want to go to Amazon. I don't want to have to look and I don't want to figure it out on my own. So I was like, Chad, can you pick out a book for me? He was like, what kind do you want? I was like, well, I should read something that, you know, makes me smarter and, you know, give me one of the books that you like. And something that I like that you said is like, no, don't worry about what I like or what anyone else likes. Read something that's fun, that you enjoy, and you will learn something from it, whether it's fiction, whether it's like sci-fi, no matter what it is, you will learn something from it. And I love that because it kind of freed me up to be like, okay, I'm going to pick any book I want. And I picked one. It was kind of a love story, but it was amazing. And then I also picked a historical fiction. Yeah, I picked a historical fiction one. Yeah. Yeah. I picked, I read like three books in like a week and learned a ton about. Yeah. Getting, getting started is so much easier when you take the pressure off of you know, what is this book for? And in one of the first episodes where we talked about direct experience, one of the primary proponents of direct experience, Michael Crichton noticed that he had a purpose and a reason behind everything that he was doing. And that purpose and reason weren't typically not his own. They were purposes and reasons that were given to him by big institutions or his agent or, you know, companies that he was trying to work with or partner with or whatever. And so he just started to do things for himself based on his own whims, his interests, whatever was fun for him. And that's where he got to a place where a unique place where you're not following a prescribed, you know, reading list or anything like that. You're actually following your intuition. And what we talked about with school earlier, that's just so true. Like there are, if you ask people for reading recommendations or writing recommendations, you'll get people to, you know, tell you what to do all day long. And I mean, just like right now, we're telling people to pick out what's fun when the right answer, maybe it is a, you know, prescribed path. Maybe that's how you're going to find yourself reading more and more. But the biggest thing to just bring up is like, you want to have fun, but also you want to question everything that you're getting. 
Did you pick it? Did somebody else pick it? So yeah, just explore those ideas. Yep, I agree. So, okay, when it comes to picking books, this is like a rhetorical question because I already have an answer, but do you agree with like the specialized approach of like, I know that I need to go down this path, so I need to read X, Y, and Z? Or are you more into like the polymath approach where, you know, we've talked about Elon Musk, he has read books in all different industries and Mm -hmm. they haven't all related to space and cars and, you know, solar and things like that. And he... I think directly attributes that to like helping his success is being able to think about these different industries and how they can relate. What do you think? I think the more you can pick books with no input from outside sources, the better. But if you do take recommendations, make sure they're from a source that's really, really good at curation, i.e. a source that has either read thousands of books or has developed yeah, I hate to call it cutting edge or something like something like that, but has basically put a lot of thought into what books they're curating and why and how they deem what's what's valuable. So off the top of my head, I would say polymath approach. And if you're doing something that's specialized, if following a specific path brings you a lot of joy, hey, stick with it. Got it. Yeah, I really like this Leonardo da Vinci quote. I had to write it down because I knew I wouldn't remember it. So it's, he said, or he reminded himself, study the science of art, study the art of science, Develop your senses, especially learn how to see. Realize that everything connects to everything else. That reminds me of, you know, the polymath approach, but... I love it. Yeah, it's a really powerful reminder that by doing more things, you gain more powers. And your brain is a pattern matching and recognition machine, and it can do way more than we give it credit for typically. So you can consume huge amounts of information and your brain will know how to process it, file it, and then pull up the exact thing you need at the right time. And... One more fun fact for anybody that's out there that's thinking about reading. So a bunch of customer research has been done by large book firms and companies like that. And they've determined that about 10% of people who buy a book read past the first chapter. So that right there, if you're reading even past the first chapter, you're in an elite group. So that's something that should give you a a lot of energy as you go through and pick more books. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. So whether you want to set a goal of reading 52 books in a year or just one a month or any, you know, any number like that, I think that's another really fun way to get started. And you can join a book club. We actually just started the Mission Book Club. And that is you sign up at themission.co and you'll see the information there. But that's going to be a lot of fun. That kicks off in next week. Yeah, so. it'll be really fun. So the Side note, the 52 books a year, because you put that number in there, I'm allowed to tell the story of when Chad was deployed, he read 52 books yeah, in a year. Yeah, I was like 65, but yeah. Okay, 65, my bad. And then your parents put it on a plaque, every book you read. <laughs> it was so sweet. I don't know where that, because uh, it was like a very nice, like ingrained plaque that yeah, they I made for it. you. Yeah, it was so cute. Yeah, but that, that's really, really cool. And I had just made a point to tell them that you know, I wasn't proud of my degree, wasn't proud of many other things, but this was something I was actually proud of. Yep. All right, on to writing. All right. Thanks for working in that humble, humble brag there. Sorry. You're welcome. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> on to writing. Writing is really unique in that anything that's bothering you, you can put it on paper and get it out of your head. And you not only get distance from it, but just the act of writing itself can lead you to solutions for problems. And it's something that is counterintuitive. It might feel like you have to have an answer before you start. But I've often found that by giving myself real world problems or challenges that I do not know how to solve, sitting down and trying to write an answer out, the answer will, as you get relaxed, as you go into a flow state, as you begin to write more quickly and more fluidly, the answer will emerge in 
a huge amount of cases. And again, this is something that you don't learn in school. People won't tell you it. There are plenty of academics and folks who would say that this is like preposterous, but I encourage people, again, this is something that they can try. You can try it for yourself and determine, does it work? Does it not? And I assert that it works incredibly well. So. Yep. And if not, then you can just look to Jeff Bezos. Cause I think he has every employee, write What is it? A marketing brief every time they want to do a new product or. So they write a memo basically every, memo. before they announce anything, they put it into a PR release type format. And then everyone has to read it in the meeting because people are good at not doing homework, good at not reading things. So yeah. And I think writing is good for accountability too. And for looking back to see how you've improved. So it's funny when we look back to the books you've written before or the articles you've written or any of that kind of stuff and just seeing, wow, where I'm at today is so different than where I was last year. And to me, that's like summarizes accelerated learning is being embarrassed by what you wrote a year ago or two years ago. It definitely does. And that's a really great way to measure where you're at and where you've been. So without too much work, too, it's really easy. You just keep doing the work, plowing forward, moving ahead. And then occasionally you can look back, cringe, feel really embarrassed, and then realize that nobody's looking at that stuff anyways. Yep. And so just are, get back to it. Are there any good tools? Like if you're not really into writing right now and you're like, I don't know if it'll be good or I want to publish something, but you know, I don't have an editor. What kind of tools can be used to help get it to the next level? So the two simplest ones, Hemingway app, that's free. It just gets your writing to... A more clear place typically and you can see which sentences are hard to read things like that so there's a bunch of research that shows writing that's done at a lower grade level performs better because it requires less cognitive overhead for people to process and move through and enjoy so hemingway app is great for that grammarly is a great source to get some decent proofreading done on your writing and a tip or something you can post near your computer or wherever you write from is ADA. So it's just four letters, A-I-D-A, and it stands for attention, interest, desire, and action. And that is a four-step, four-part format that works for literally any type of email correspondence, text message, anytime you write and you want to take it up a notch, putting your writing in that format is incredible. So the goal being with attention to write something that captures that person's attention. With interest, how can you catalyze their interest? And then with desire, how are you serving that person? How would they see that you have something that would help them a little bit? And then action, what type of action do you want to take that is in their best interest, that is in your best interest? And that format is so solid. And it makes writing emails quicker, text quicker. Anytime you're wondering what to say, I would just sketch out that format and the words will come to you. Yep, totally agree. So another really important quote, let me see if I can get this right. But basically when you're writing, don't think too much or worry too much about the whole piece. Just remember that each line, this is paraphrasing David Ogilvie here, but basically like the purpose of each line when you're writing is just to get people to read the second, the third, the fourth. So don't worry about the whole piece. Just worry at uh, getting one right. I'm going to start practicing that in my emails. <laughs> nice. All right. So should we move on to speaking the last? Yeah, speaking, skill. We're gonna have to, we'll cover in depth in uh, future episodes because there's some really cool things that you can do to set up stakes and incentives to get yourself to speak in public, at more at work, things like that. For now, I think, you know, there's Toastmasters, there's meetups. You can ask your boss to lead a team lunch and learn session or something like that. But the biggest thing to remember with speaking is that it's conquered through practice. And, you know, there's another great quote. So a prophet's never a prophet in his hometown type thing, or a prophet can't be in his home, whatever it is. The point is with speaking, you're going to have to get outside of your usual path, your usual location 
to practice it. That's probably the best way to do it. And then come back to your community, your tribe, your friends, once you have done some practice outside. That's what I would recommend. Unless you plan on moving, in which case, yeah, speak a lot where you're at, then leave. Yeah, take the newfound skills elsewhere. <laughs> I love that. That's really good. So that reminds me earlier, I was telling you how I was listening to the Dick Costola interview. Costola. And he was the CEO of Twitter, for anyone who doesn't know. And he, Feed burner, a couple other things. Yeah, too. and other things too. He was talking about how he did stand up and what was the other type of comedy? Improv. Improv, there yeah. you go. Yeah, I was about to say improv. I think he, he was with Second City, which is a very famous group in Chicago. I yep. yeah, yeah, he did it with Steve Carell, which yeah. was really cool. So he's talking about that and just how much it influenced being the CEO of Twitter and how helpful it was because people would be like, can I record you when we're doing this or with interviews or anything? And he was just like, it's so easy because when you've done things like that that are seem not related at all, it just helps with everything, with meetings, with you know, investor calls and all that. And it's funny because I remember you telling me maybe like six months ago that you want to do stand-up comedy. And I was very confused. Like, why would you want to do stand-up that has nothing to do with the mission, nothing to do with our podcast? Everything, everything to do with it. Yeah, I just was like, <laughs> you don't have any time right now and you want to take three hours out of your day to go and do stand-up in front of people in Palo Alto that we don't even know. <laughs> So once I heard that earlier today, I'm like, okay, the writing you're has begun. The improv classes have been targeted, and so yeah, I'll be doing that. The improv first, and then yeah, eventually a couple uh, walk on sessions here pretty soon. Yeah, I'll stream it live so everyone can see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Probably have to get out of the hometown to do that one and then come back. So the really fun thing to remember with this is that. If you can diffuse tension, there's so many ways to do this. You don't have to make people crack up laughing every single time. You don't have to perform all the time. But anybody that can either diffuse tension or smooth, make situations that are tense, like, you know, relaxed, get people under composure, basically, that's a really valuable skill. And that type of skill is, it lends itself towards communication. Because if people feel at ease, they're going to be able to communicate better. And speaking is something that, I mean, I can't even describe how stunted our ability to speak is by going through, you know, traditional K through 12 public school. It's, I mean, you have to raise your hand if you want to do anything and you have to basically like think about getting permission before you do any type, any form of speaking. And that is uh, incredibly damaging point. when you've practiced that for a decade or more. Some Sometimes people stay in inside, you know, academia. And if you think that... <laughs> self-censorship and the groups of people who are censoring what you say or what you might say gets smaller as you ascend the levels of education. I just think that that is not the case. Yeah, so. You just get more side eyes and people judging you and you can feel it. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> Don't give me your side eye. So that's the, you know, a great way to look at reading, writing, and speaking in a little bit of a new light. And we're going to do some, yeah, deeper dives, not just into those three topics, but into skill acquisition in general. So hope you enjoyed that. These are the three skills that nobody wants to master. A lot of people start, but not many people finish it. Just like only 10% of people will read past the first chapter in a book. I would say even fewer people take improving their reading, writing, and speaking seriously. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, hats off. Thanks so much. Leave us a review, subscribe. And let and us we'll know how the journey goes. If yeah, you want to hear about it. Definitely. Or join the Mission Book Club. And we'll see you next time. All right. See ya. Later. Today's episode of The Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the customer developer conference of the year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code MISSION20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Tickets.